You are listening to CFRO Community Radio Station. The upcoming show, Conscious Living Radio, is a program that explores frontiers of consciousness, spirituality, personal growth, emerging paradigms in psychology, health, science, and innovative philosophies that reflect commitment to the advancement of individual, social, and global transformation. everybody. Welcome. Uh, Tasha Sims here, and you're listening to Conscious Living Radio 100.5 FM in Vancouver, Co-op Radio. Of course, the station isn't open still, so we're recording this way and then putting it on Wednesday night, 6 to 7 live. You can um, hear it there and, of course, on Facebook. So, hey, welcome. 
Our guest today is Lynn Del Maestro Thompson. She's a certified body talk practitioner, a body intuitive practitioner, a speaker and author of the Amazon bestseller, You Are Not Your Diagnosis. She holds a master's degree in somatic psychology. After being misdiagnosed with leukemia at the age of 25, Lynn became passionate about sharing with the world her message that just because a doctor has said an illness is chronic or incurable doesn't mean it has to be a life sentence. We're going to discuss how Western medicine, which sometimes does simply manage the symptoms, isn't the only approach to healing. And we'll talk about her book, You Are Not Your Diagnosis, as well as learn more about the art of listening to one's body and how to apply that knowledge in ways that are practical and healing. Welcome to the show. Excited to be here. So let's start with your personal story. Uh, That began back, I guess, 2004? Yes. Yeah. Why don't you tell us about that? So back in 2004, I was um, in a graduate school program pursuing a PhD in history, and I was about three years into that program, scheduled for elective surgery, going to have a breast reduction in that summer of 2004, and I got the phone call that nobody really wants to get before surgery, and the surgeon said, something looks off in your pre-op labs. And it was like, I remember still my heart racing, my palms feeling sweaty, like what's going on? You know, I felt perfectly healthy. And he said, well, let's just send you back, make sure it's not a lab error because sometimes those things happen. And went back for the labs and got a call back maybe an hour or two later. And he said, yeah, it's not a lab error. We can't do the surgery. And I didn't really have any clue of what was going on at that point. It was just something looked wrong. Surgery wasn't possible, go see my primary doctor. And so that dropped me down kind of a rabbit hole of about 10 days. And I was in two different hospitals. So I started out in the local hospital where I was living at the time in Santa Barbara. And they worked, did a kind of a workup for a period of time. And then they kind of figured out part of what was going on was that I had, they thought I had clotted off the veins that drain my liver. And they said, we've never really dealt with somebody with that here in this, you know, more smaller hospital. We're going to transfer you someplace else where they have experience. And got sent to um, San Francisco, up to UCSF, and spent, I think, about a week in that hospital. And finally, after, you know, so many tests, a couple bone marrow biopsies, because the first one I had, it was so painful, I couldn't even tolerate it. They had to do it again with more medication to sedate me. Um, Finally, the diagnosis that they came up with was leukemia, uh, chronic myelogenous leukemia. Wow. And what were the conventional um, allopathic approaches to, to healing or working with leukemia at the time? So they, at first, you know, my mind jumped to, am I going to need chemotherapy? And the type of leukemia didn't require chemotherapy and they had a newer medication and that was supposed to target the genetic issue that causes that type of leukemia. So it was a very, very expensive pharmaceutical. I think it was about $8,000 a month for this particular pill. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't, you know, your brain is like, I can't even believe I could pay $8,000 a month for a medication and um, just regular labs. Um, I also had to be put on an anticoagulant because my blood is thick, and so hence the clotting off of the liver. So they had to do something to make sure that something like that didn't happen again in my body. 
and, and that you're was having pretty much no, it. But you're having no symptoms. Like that's why a wild story to me. Like you're thinking, la la la, life is fine. And and but then soon after, like once I was in the hospital initially, then I did. My belly swelled up because of clotting off those veins. Like I would right. have probably known, you know, a few days later that something was wrong because I swelled up to look like I was probably about six months pregnant at one point right. from all of the fluid that filled my belly. So then what happened? So you, this is going to lead to a story of being misdiagnosed yes, happily. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I went on with being treated for that for about three years and really getting what I would consider some substandard care from one of my doctors. Um, he wouldn't really spend much time with me. The appointments for for a hematologist, you know, you would think that they would spend at least, you know, 20 minutes with you. I would see him for maybe five if I was lucky. And he would say, well, your labs look good. It looks like the medication is working. And then he would say, how do you feel? And I would say, I don't feel well because I I was like starting to waste away. I started to lose a lot of weight. So I was pretty much skin and bones at one point in this process. And he would say to me, you look great. And I'll see you in, you know, like a few weeks. And I was like, why are you saying I look great? Because it's so blatantly not even true. You didn't even yeah. listen to me when I say I don't feel well. Um, but I got caught in the healthcare system. I needed a referral to see a different specialist, and I couldn't get one from my primary doctor at the time. He kept saying, you know, we went to medical school together. This guy is great. He's the best in town. And I was like, but I don't like him. He doesn't listen to me. Mm. And finally, about three years into the process, I um, left my graduate program, extricated myself out of that. And it was complicated because I live in the U.S. So the healthcare system, especially before Obamacare, I didn't have creditable coverage. So I had to get a job that would give me health coverage. And once I did that, then I got a new specialist. Well, I got a new primary doctor who referred me elsewhere. And in my first appointment, he questioned the initial diagnosis. Like I bought in a stack of papers, probably about two inches thick of all of the previous three years worth of records. And he flipped through it and he was like, this doesn't look right. And so that must, what did that feel like? Such a mix of emotions, uh-huh. as you could imagine, you know, anger at because at, I had been trying to, you know, raise someone's awareness of like, if you say I'm getting better, like, why do I feel like I'm getting worse? Why am I losing all of this weight? And nobody would listen. So finally, you know, there was relief at having somebody look at it and like, actually pay attention and be awake and sadness that I had suffered for three years and, you know, lost a tremendous amount of weight. And so what was it if it wasn't leukemia? It's a different blood disorder, something called polycythemia vera, which is, again, something I'd never heard of in my life. And it basically, this type of blood disorder just means I produce too many of all of the cell lines. So my blood is just really thick. I make too many red cells, white cells, and platelets. And so it's treatable. It is treatable. And, you know, once I started getting treatment for the correct thing and kind of in that three-year interim when nobody from Western medicine was listening to me, I did start exploring some alternative things that did bring me some improvement in that, in my health. And, and so that's, that's the, like your whole trajectory now that we're about to dive into, which is the good part of your story. Um, would you say you're a person who believes that when an illness comes to you, that there's a 
um, I don't want to do cause and effect because I, I really don't think that's fair where you, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. I created this. I just don't buy no, it. No, I, I don't buy it, that either. Yeah. But there's a, you certainly used it, what happened to you as not only a way to transform, but to open you to a whole new way of listening to your body mm-hmm. and, and your ultimate life's work here. Mm-hmm. Can you just give us a bit more about how that happened? Yeah. So I think, first of all, just looking back, like now from the perspective that I have, I realized that before all of this happened, I hadn't been really listening to my body and I hadn't been listening to my inner knowing. So as soon as I went into that graduate program, I went straight from college, I felt like a duck out of water, like it was just not the right fit. Um, But despite kind of questioning that in my head and thinking, you know, is this the right path for me? I really, I was too scared to say I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And so then my body started talking to me in various symptoms that were smaller at the time. So I started just having like a lot of anxiety and I was dealing with depression. I started having some panic attacks, which I'd never had before. And that was not fun. Um, I got migraine headaches that had been part of my past that I had kind of not dealt with for a number of years. They kind of popped back up. And all of those things I wrote off at that time during the graduate school processes. Oh, this is like not supposed to be fun. Graduate school is supposed to be hard work. You know, I'm supposed to be miserable, which is just ridiculous. (laughs) Right. So what led you directly to body talk, which is a form of Um, whether you're working, I guess, with a practitioner, which you are, but you can also learn how to do it with yourself. Yes. Um, To some degree. Yeah. It's it's more of a facilitated healing, but we do have kind of like self-care tools that are part of the process. And I also teach people just a simple way to start to talk to their body. Well, let's start with an overview. So what's your definition of body talk? And maybe you could touch on its efficacy as well. Sure. So body talk is a particular form of energy medicine. I didn't create it. Um, It was created by someone named John Beltime, Dr. John Beltime. And it's basically a way of looking at the story behind the symptoms. So I like to use, we use the analogy of an iceberg, you know, so many approaches, especially Western medicine, kind of look at the top of the iceberg, what's above the water. And it's just like showing you know, here's your symptoms, looks like it's this, here's the pill for that. And we're much more interested in the portion, the much bigger portion of the iceberg under the water, you know, all of our history, all of the things that have happened to us in our past. Because once we surface that and we figure out, oh, you know, you had a trauma when you were this age and, you know, you were exposed to all these toxins or you took a bunch of antibiotics, whatever that is, once we raise that to the surface and kind of help the body heal that, then that's where, where the treatment really happens. So I guess the words say it all, body talk. Your body is talking to you. If you have a disease or you're uncomfortable mm-hmm. in some way, whether it's emotional or physical, or spiritual, something, and and it it manifests somehow in your body. It's your body literally trying to communicate with you. Yes. Yeah, I always always like to say our bodies don't have words, you know, it would be really convenient, right, if our bodies could say, um, you're eating something you're allergic to, excuse me, please stop eating that food. Hello, Lynn, (laughs) drop drop that cupcake now. Exactly. (laughs) But, you know, it doesn't have those words, so we have to learn how to interpret what we're experiencing as, you know. Have you seen any dramatic results that you might share with the listeners? 
Yeah, definitely. So I've worked a lot over the years with people, especially with autoimmune conditions. I seem to attract a, quite a good percentage of clients with that. And I've seen people significantly decrease medications and have their symptoms be even better than when we, they were on the medications. Um, just drastically improved quality of life of a lot of clients, you know, people who were pretty much homebound or even bedridden getting up, getting out of bed, and actually being able to start living life again. And, and how do you see that working in this realm of body-mind connection? I wonder for our skeptics out there, if we could bring some quantum physics or some science yes. to the table when you look at the whole field of energy medicine. How do you see that in the biggest yeah, definitely. So the work that I do is definitely based on quantum physics. It's based on the power of that observer seeing what's happening and, and then focusing on the shift that we're trying to create, the positive potential for healing that exists for the person. Um, it's also based a little bit in dynamic systems theory. So the connection between everything, you know, every cell, every atom in your body is connected to everything else. We're also connected to the entire world, right? We, that's why we can feel things even when it's not happening locally. You know, we can feel a tragedy around the world if we're in tune mm -hmm. enough. Yeah, and I want to get there maybe a little later in the show just talking about the world and how that's our body as well. Mm -hmm. um, but let's keep diving in here. So... If you're looking at, let's say, would you say that most disease has unresolved trauma at its core? I would that's, say that's a good percentage, yes, yeah. for sure. And so when you're working with chronic illness or autoimmune, um, what are some of, are, is there a pattern in the underlying emotional issues or trauma when you look at, let's say, autoimmune? So definitely the trauma, a lot of autoimmune, actually, many people have had a birth trauma experience, um, which is fascinating because basically in the first two weeks of our lives, our immune system hasn't yet determined the difference between us and the world. So if you have a trauma in those first two weeks of life, your immune system hasn't quite figured it out yet. And so then that's where we can get to that beginning of, you know, the body attacking itself and not realizing it's attacking itself, you know, thinking that it's attacking something other than self. What are some of the things that, like, what do you consider traumatic at two weeks old? How simple could that be? Because people, I think when they think of trauma, um, they have a, a, a story. They go, oh, well, I wasn't traumatized. But I wonder if right. you can just touch on what constitutes a trauma to a two-week-old baby. Right. Or it or could, could even just be, yeah, it could be birth trauma too, like just a very difficult birth. You know, maybe your mother in labor for a long time, maybe surgical intervention. So there's kind of that realm of birth trauma. And then, you know, maybe something very difficult happening in your family. And, you know, we don't think of a two week old as like really being conscious and alert of, you know, oh, maybe someone died in your family. Um, you know, maybe your, your grandparent died when you were a few weeks old, but you pick that up from mom, right? Cause you're very aware and in tune with mom. And if mom's, you know, grieving a big loss, I would say something like that could constitute yeah. trauma. And I think people don't think of that, that the emotional climate at the time of your birth is like such a determining factor of how you thrive in this world. And, and some of it's just not apparent. As you say, if mom's depressed or mom's in unhappy marriage or whatever it is, mm -hmm. um, and you're going to be this, the, the savior 
you're the one who's going to make it better, possibly. Like that's a pressure too, where you be, you could become overly responsible. I mean, there's so I find the field fascinating. This whole transmission yes. of unfinished family business, mm-hmm. and that's what you're referring to. That we come into this world, and so much of it is not obvious. Exactly. Where we could be traumatized, right? Exactly. Or, you know, we even pick up the ancestral trauma. Yeah. One of the, the areas I'm fascinated by is epigenetics. Yeah. And, you know, how our genes can be impacted by things that happened to ancestors hundreds of years ago. I think you said, I was going to talk about that a bit later, but I want to find the quote I had about epigenetics from you. Uh, maybe I'll just do it from memory. You were talking about, oh, here it is. Uh, we have more control over our health and biology than we once believed. Our genes are not our destiny. So maybe we could, you could just um, touch on that and talk a bit about how we can broaden how we view our health based on that. Because yeah. it used, you know, it used to be, oh, so and so in the family had this. Now I've inherited. It's like there's my sentence. Right. Yeah. And you're it's saying like, something else altogether. Right. Yeah. So, you know, the science of epigenetics is, is, and epigenetics really just means the markers that are on genes that turn them on and off. I love the analogy of kind of a recipe, you know, a cookbook. It's like you don't cook every single recipe for every single gene, you know, like your bones don't make muscle recipes, you know, so, so there's markers that are in our bodies to help us know, you know, what's appropriate for that cell. But what happens over time or, you know, trauma or being exposed to toxins is those markers get put on in the wrong place. So things we can't see recipes that we need or they fall off. And so like a muscle cell starts making a bone recipe, you know, or, or you get proliferation of cells, you know, like cancer, things that shouldn't be in overgrowth. So, you know, we've gone from a paradigm of seeing our genes as our destiny. You know, we, we thought with kind of Darwinism, it's like, Oh yeah. You know, you're you had somebody in your family that has this particular gene like maybe say the BRCA gene because that's one I think we're all more familiar with the breast cancer gene it just because you have that gene in your family line doesn't mean it has to be activated again it's like a program that doesn't necessarily have to be run for somebody so So what would be the contributing factors then is this what we were talking about with your emotional state that activate that gene what would activate it For sure. I think emotions can activate it, you know, traumas, um, toxins, major life stress, you know, if we're just constantly living in stress, I think that's another factor. There's just a lot of lifestyle pieces, you know, if we don't take good care of ourselves as well, you know, if we eat a diet full of processed foods and, you know, chemicals, it's going to activate the wrong type of genes versus, you know, if we try to take care of ourselves and eat as healthily as we can. And do you think that's connected with the increase, the toxins, do you think they're connected with the increase in autoimmunes that seem to be everywhere? I think that definitely has a role in it. Um, I've also read some different research talking about how autoimmune connects to, like, because there's been a really a rise of it in the past hundred plus years, right? It didn't probably, we didn't have a label for something as that. And what they've kind of speculated is as we increased all of our hygiene, as we have all of these like um, different vaccines to eliminate a lot of contagious disease, our immune system kind of doesn't get the training it used to because we used to, you know, be out 
playing in the dirt all of the time. Things weren't all, you know, sanitized with wipes everywhere. And so our bodies and our immune system kind of just learned how to interact with microbes in an appropriate way. It's like, oh, that's a bad bacteria. I can deal with that. And now our immune system is kind of like, I don't have anything to, to do to practice and learn how to engage with, you know, bad microbes, with microbes that we need to have training with. So it gets confused. It gets confused and then it gets kind of almost bored in a sense, you know, so then it starts just attacking our own, our own body. It's confused and doesn't have its job description, basically. And what's happening with inflammation? I think, yeah, that plays a huge role in it as well. You know, we have a lot more inflammation in our bodies these days as a whole. You know, some people are not as inflamed, but, you know, we live in chronic stress certainly adds to inflammation in our bodies. The foods that we eat, the environment being toxic, create a lot of inflammation and the inflammation certainly contributes to the autoimmune issues and other health issues as well. So there you were, you got a, you, you realized, okay, three years of my life went down the wrong road. You start to manage this. What drew you specifically to body talk? Did you have an experience that blew yeah. you away or what, what turned yeah, you on? Yeah, I did. So, you know, I was already kind of doing other holistic work before I found body talk. And then about, I can't remember exactly how many years ago it's been now, I think like seven years ago. Um, I developed this pain in my left knee and it was very odd because it was like waking up one morning and my left knee just hurt. And I thought, okay, I didn't do anything weird. You know, I couldn't think of any physical cause for the pain in my knee. It just was there. And I spent about three months trying to resolve it with all of the other holistic things I had. I never went to see a doctor because I thought they're just going to say, well, here's a pill, you know, like, we don't know why your knee hurts. Take some <laughs> but, Advil. Yeah, take some Advil, you know, take some Tylenol, whatever, go about your life. And I was like, I don't want to do that. Um, and nothing that I tried in the three months really fully resolved it. It would get like a little better, a little worse, a little better, a little worse. And one day I, I woke up and I remembered this woman that I had met a year before when I was out at a networking event. And she said she did this thing called body talk. And I'd never heard of it at that time before. And she told me a little bit about it. And I was like, oh, that sounded really interesting. But I already had, you know, a list of probably half a dozen at least holistic things I was doing. So I didn't feel drawn to add one more. Mm-hmm. And after about three months, I, when I remembered her, I thought, well, you know, I've been describing this pain in my left knee like it's talk- my knee is talking to me, um, but it felt like it was a language I didn't speak. You know, I wanted to call it like Greek or, you know, whatever it was, I didn't translate it. And so I thought, let me try this. And I remember going in for the first session, and in the session she asked me, did something significant that something traumatic happened right before this and I honestly had made no connection of this in my own mind until she brought it up my parents had come just before this happened and my dad was basically going through kind of a mental health crisis he was very anxious and depressed and almost suicidal so they came from Idaho where they lived and they came to see me in Portland and I spent a couple of weeks, you know, trying to navigate, figuring out what was going on with him and stabilizing him. And then as soon as they left, I just jumped back into work mode because I thought I'm self-employed. You know, I just took two weeks off, not, not making anything in my business and I got to work. 
And my body had just basically been holding it in my left knee saying, um, excuse me, that was pretty traumatic what just happened over the past few weeks. Did you even take a breath and, and mm-hmm. acknowledge it, you know, or did you just dive into got to work, which I think many of us are good at doing, right? We just switch. Oh, that happened. Moving on. Right. And as soon as um, that came up and we did a particular technique to clear the emotional charge of all that had happened in those couple weeks, I got off the table and the pain was like completely gone. And my mind was just like, how could I have had this pain for three months? And, you know, whatever she did in that hour, it was gone. Well, whatever, whatever you did, really. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And and so, again, holding on to emotions. Let's talk about that for a sec, because in this case, your body's trying to talk to you about the feelings that you're not feeling because you get busy. And Mm -hmm. I think many people do that. What do you think, what happens when we don't pay attention to emotions in the body, in particular anger? Our body just, yeah, our body stores it up, you know, basically all of our emotions have different chemicals that make them up, right? There are different neurotransmitters and, and hormones that make up all of our feelings. And when we don't feel it and then let it kind of move and dissipate and process properly, it's like our body stores up all of those chemicals someplace, usually, you know, a place of weakness or sometimes a place that kind of will give us a clue if we kind of start to understand what the symbolic aspects of different areas are. So it just puts it there and, and then it's like starts to cause symptoms over time. Right. And would this include, so we're talking about disease, but also a pain in your knee or would it include, you know, headache or, or weight gain mm-hmm. or all these kinds of things that people just go, they attribute to something on the surface as opposed to going as deep as you're talking about. Right. Would you say that those little minor ailments that people kind of normalize, all of them are your body saying, hey, hey, I, pay attention over here? I truly believe it. You know, I think our bodies are always trying to communicate something. And I don't think, you know, our bodies are intelligent, so I don't think we just have pain for pain's sake or a symptom for a symptom's sake. I think there's something behind it and, you know, whatever that is, whether it's stuck emotion or, you know, something else, when we address it, then we don't have to keep experiencing the symptom. Right. What do you think the mindset, the healthiest mindset would be in order to begin to um, receive this information? I think one thing is for sure just having patience with the process because if you've never kind of taken that time, if you're just usually like, oh, okay, I'm busy, you know, I'm, I'm going about my life, I don't really feel my feelings and give myself space, creating a routine for that and then being patient with this beginning process of starting to basically view your body in a different way. So, you know, shifting your mindset from seeing symptoms as inconveniences and just meaningless or, you know, annoying things that happen to us and starting to say, okay, I'm going to see this as, as what it is that my body is probably trying to tell me something. I may not know that something yet. And then how can I be patient as I learn how to navigate that process? And how do we learn to navigate that process? Maybe we can get kind of practical, offer some tools and tips. It would be awesome. Yeah, so one of my favorite ways to do it, and we can kind of just guide, uh, I can guide everyone through just a little simple experience of this, of how you can do it yourself, is 
first I'll just give kind of the context of how you can integrate it in your life. You just want to take time where you can be quiet, much like, you know, if you were to do a little short meditation. So you find yourself a quiet space and just get comfortable. And right now we'll just do it while guide you kind of through what I would do once you settle yourself into a space. And so if you're, if this is on the radio, which it will be Wednesday and you're in a car, pull Mm -hmm. over because you're going to close your eyes, right? If you can, yeah, if you can, can, obviously, you know, if you can't pull over, then maybe just take mental note of what we're doing here and come back and do it for yourself later, for sure. (laughs) And how long is this little process take? We'll just do it for a couple minutes. You can make it more extended. So I'm going to close my eyes. I want to feel it. I'm a feeler. Awesome. Okay. So as you close your eyes, just beginning to take a couple nice, relaxed, deep breaths. And just becoming more fully present with your body. Letting go of whatever was before this, whatever comes next. And you're just going to spend the next few minutes connecting with your body. So if you have a place that already feels like it wants attention, then you can pick that. And if you're kind of feeling pretty good today, we'll just give you a moment to just scan through your body. There's things usually below our level of awareness when we're busy. You might notice, oh, there's a little tension in my back. Maybe your neck feels tight. Whatever it is, just pick an area as you scan through that you're going to talk to. I'll just give you just a moment to just pick an area. And as you pick that area, just beginning to get curious, and we're going to ask it a question. So just with curiosity, with no expectation of getting an answer or getting it right, just ask the following question. What does this area of my body want me to know right now? Be open to images, words, just a sense or a knowing. If you don't get anything right away, just maybe asking it once or twice more, just some patience. And if you're new to it, sometimes we don't always get it the very first time we do this, so it's okay. No stressing yourself out over it. And then the second question you can ask is, is there anything this area of your body needs from you? Just again, be open to how the information wants to come through. Asking the question a couple times if you need, just to really feel into it. And don't second guess. Oftentimes we think, is this the right answer? Usually the first thing that comes through is pretty accurate. And then lastly, just if there's any other question you want to ask, just kind of asking your own question here. And once you've received whatever answers have come through from these questions, just thank your body. And then just you can open your eyes. That was cool. I always love going in. It's like when once I once I enter, I mean to me it's home. Yes. Um, it's like oh, it's so nice in here. Tell us the two questions now that our brains are back on sure. alert. 
So what does uh, your, what does this area of your body want you to know? Yeah. And what does it need from you? And, and of course, you can get more elaborate with your own questions too, but right. those are kind of two good, just basic starting points. I think one of the most important things, like what you touched on when you said, um, don't try to get the right answer. It's like we're wired to try to get the right answer. And as soon as we're trying, even that word trying is yes. a different channel. That's not on this channel, this intuitive channel. Mm-hmm. It's instantaneous, right? There's no space or time. on when you're tapped into intuition and sensation and listening, there is no space or time. There's no trying. There's no agenda. There just is the question and then an answer right? without that space. And that took me, I was very, a very heady person. So that took years of training to go, whoa, I can trust Mm -hmm. this first hit I get. And when I do, then I'll get another, as opposed to, what the heck? And then I start to analyze it. And now I've left it and the whole process makes no sense because you're in your head analyzing it. Right. Different channel. Yes. So I guess my question to you is, do you have any tips on how a person can tell that they're listening to their body, listening to their intuition versus trying to get an answer? I think there's, for me, there's a different just sense of, of when you get it, like it just kind of emerges, like, you know how when you're trying to find an answer, it's like you're working at it. And when you're in that intuitive state, it just kind of pops up and just, it just surfaces like you were describing. So sometimes I just hear a word just like in my brain as I ask a question and it's like, okay. That's the answer. Just, I just trust that it's the answer or I see an image of something. Okay. I'm just trusting that that's what it is. Whereas if it feels like if you're in that left brain analytical self, you probably are. (laughs) Right. And yet, you know, for me, again, trying to turn off the left brain also creates problems. So Mm -hmm. I will immediately hear, hear an analysis of whatever it is that came up and I just go, I just sort of laugh it off now. I roll with it as opposed to being misdirected. Yes. Um, Yeah. It's like, thank you, left brain. Thanks thanks. for your input. (laughs) I'm breathing into this answer because I want more. And that's, I think, the part for me that gives me a sense of home and relief because the world, you know, living can feel so tiresome if you're trying all the time. And this work that you're talking about, this way of relationship with one's body is so relaxing and, um, you know, the word somatic, anything that really embraces whatever is going on in the present moment, to me is like a soothing, an instant soothing, yes, I don't know, compress of cool wonderfulness, you know, but it's sensation, it's not thought. Right. right. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's often, you know, too, just kind of that. It, I always think that knowing feeling feels much different than when we're coming to an analysis from our brain. It's like, oh, yeah, I just know in my gut or I know in my body that that's the answer. Like, I just feel it. Right. And then what? Because if this is, if you're saying, okay, this is the portal, this is the beginning of natural healing. That's what you're saying. Your body wants to be healed. Mm-hmm. Your body doesn't want to be out of alignment in any way. So this information that you begin to get like this is the process of beginning healing. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
do you think it's important then to take it into the practical? Is that yes, for the sure. next piece? <laughs> for sure. I mean, if we get information like that second question that our body says, you know, hey, I need you to change this or do more of that or stop doing this. And we, we just say, oh, that was nice information. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just an exercise. Whereas if we take it and we say, oh, you know, my body just told me I've been sitting for 12 hours today. Yeah. Gee, maybe I should get up and, and start moving and, and giving my body attention, not just the tasks in my mind. Then, you know, then we take it in too. So this is one of the things we could be doing at home, doing all the time, even with minor things, whether it's a a chronic disease or, you know, as we say, life challenges day to day. Mm -hmm. What do you do in a session with a person? Maybe you could describe, because that's a bit different. There's two of you and you're involved. And I'd be curious to hear about what your process is. Yeah. Yeah. So the process of a session is more a facilitated process. So it's me, like, we talk in the beginning, of course, like most, most practices of, you know, what's going on, what are you working to heal right now, and then the process for the client is much more of a receiving experience, so right now I'm only working with people at a distance, so it looks like people, you know, being relaxed on their own bed or wherever they're comfortable, and then me tuning in through kind of intuition And we also use a structured protocol chart because that's one of the ways we can actually get the left and the right brain to cooperate better is we give the left brain a little bit of structure and it's happy because it has its structure and then it can let the right brain kind of do its thing. And what do you mean when you say structure? Like what's an example of a... So it's kind of like a roadmap. So we, we have a whole protocol chart that gives us different areas of where we could be addressing. So the organs, for example, we can get to a specific organ and even more specific to a part of an organ what's going on there. But it it helps you as a practitioner, especially in the beginning to really navigate, like you learn how to just navigate that. And then later it becomes much more intuitive. We just kind of jump to, I can feel we're going to the organs. So you're kind of initially going through when you're first starting out kind of a, a checklist or a body grid of the different possibilities that could be off? Is that Yeah, kind of definitely. And, and for the visual portion, I can just even show you what it looks like. I know for the radio listeners, you won't see that, but for those looking at the, so this is one of the charts that I use. So it's like a little map. And, we and we'll just it. read a couple of those things out yeah. for the listeners. So, so at the top. See. The top, we have what we call the communication triad, which is the endocrines, the nervous system, and the immune system. And that's kind of the whole primary communication of the body. Then we have organs and the body parts. And then we get into what we call body chemistry, which is like our hormones and our immune system and all of that. Yeah, I wish I thought to do a little mini session with you before. Yeah. And I could have given you a little (laughs) testimonial. That would have been cool. I've got questions popping in my head right now. But when you work online, um, do you find it as effective as being in the same space? Yeah, I think it's just as effective uh, because, you know, energy is non-local. So in some ways, I almost find it, I prefer it that way because they, the client is responsible for just getting comfortable. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of times in our own space, we feel really comfortable, you know, lying in our bed. 
And then my job really when we're working at a distance is I can just zoom right into the energy. I'm not even attending to, you know, do you need another blanket? Do you need a pillow? <laughs> like, are you comfy? <laughs> it's right. like, that's your job. You just get comfortable. And then I'm just like dialed in to the energy. And then what is the component, the most valuable thing that the client needs to do as you're doing this? intuitive because it is intuitive right you're or using muscle testing or yes there's muscle testing as well so we we call the muscle testing more the confirmation of what's coming up so the intuition is like navigating that roadmap of all of the different areas and then the muscle testing is like is that correct yes right and what does your client need to do in these moments So usually, you know, they're relaxing, taking deep breaths. Both of us usually go into more of an alpha brainwave state. So usually they feel deeply relaxed. And sometimes for me, it's hard to switch back and forth. You know, at the end, it's like, okay, I got to get back into the other brainwave (laughs) to talk and function. Um, And then they're just sometimes sharing information as well. So sometimes we're navigating to something like a trauma that happened or a big stressor in their life. And I, I have their help in that process of, you know, what happened to you when you were 22, you know, with your family, can you tell me a little bit more? And we're bringing that up to the surface so that it can clear. And and do you invite their feelings into it? What's happening to your body now? Like, is your body talking while you're doing the process? I think definitely, you know, with trauma, the emotions can get activated, you know, because it's, it's still something that has some charge. So, you know, they can feel into how emotionally charged is that for you right now in this moment? How do you feel that in your body? You know, is your heart racing or your palms sweaty? Is right. your brain racing all over the place? What's going on for you physically? And then, you know, we, we use some different processes to actually release the energy and the emotion that's been stuck for however long it's been stuck. How, how do you do that? Release. So so there's different techniques. Um, There's one for body talk and one for body intuitive. So body talk, we use some eye rotations. Um, We do some circles of the eyes, much like, you know, EMDR uses eye movement. Um, We do it in a particular way and that kind of helps the brain to process out the trauma. It's funny, as we were talking earlier, I thought I wanted to ask you about EMDR and whether there's a parallel here because um, there are studies on EMDR, like there are scientific Mm -hmm. studies that show how effective it is for trauma. Mm -hmm. So it's not some Um, Again, for our skeptics out there, I love it when there is some science to support what's happening. And I know there is with EMDR. Mm -hmm. So are we kind of, would you say that body, what would you say the difference is between the body talk approach and let's say doing an EMDR session um, where you're just working with the eyes? Um, I think body talk can include more pieces. I mean, the eyes are definitely a great way to process and, you know, some of the techniques we use are similar, but this can kind of branch out. It's also, I think one of the biggest things that's beautiful about body talk is we're working with the subconscious mind. So Mm -hmm. that's part of the benefit of having a facilitator because like in the story of my knee, I couldn't connect the two like my subconscious mind knew but had I tried to figure it out I was figuring it out from my conscious mind I couldn't make the connection and so do you think intuition is um on the same channel as the subconscious I think there's probably a connection right the creative the 
it's nothing to do with logic. It's right. just right, a different kind of language. And so do you think we can all learn how to do this for those who are not I think, on, yeah, I mean, I think on some level, you know, the, the system itself as a healing system is complicated and, you know, it, I mean, it's designed to be able to be learned by the average person, but it's not something that's simple enough to learn in, you know, a, an hour or two. It's like a layered process because there's so many tools and so many areas of the body, but, you know, I think we can learn it. And I think intuitively we can just start to work with our bodies too. We don't necessarily always need a map. You know, it's just mm-hmm. helpful when, you know, when we get stuck and it's like, okay, I can't figure this out. I've been trying for a while and I'm not getting anywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sending up a flare for some help might be helpful. Well, it's the same with psychotherapy, right? Um, mm-hmm. If you, if you, especially if you're somatic, if your approach is somatic, you know that all feelings are welcome. All feelings are telling you something. There's nothing to get rid of. And once you've got that mindset, you know you work with your. That's your relationship with your emotions. Just as I assume doing this kind of work, your relationship with your body changes. You welcome. Yes whatever the feeling is the even an ailment because you know there's a message in there there's something of value for you to look at Mm -hmm. and then there are times where you can't connect the dots which is what you're talking about where you need facilitation just like you would need a therapist to Mm -hmm. ask those questions or or help you actually put those dots together right because we're also seeing through our own filters right our own distorted mirrors and it's like that's where the facilitation is helpful because we need that it's like, oh, you're neutral. Can you hold up that mirror so that I can figure this out? Well, and the other part for me, because I'm, I, I think I'm pretty good at this, except trying, again, back to that word, I'm a trier. If something doesn't work, I'm going to try something else. I'll try something else. I'll, like I, I look at something, again, all head stuff where you're looking at it from different angles. But the whole frequency of trying is the antithesis of this kind of work. And so when it's personal and I want an answer to something specific, like it's one thing when you led us through that process and I had no agenda. So it it comes instantly and easily. But when it's a chronic illness or something important and you really want an answer, you're already in a mindset that has you blind to um, what could just arise because you're trying Mm -hmm. to get an answer. Yes. Again, I think that's where it's really helpful to have a neutral person yes. who's just open to receiving and um, supports you in that process. Right. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. It's like yeah. not having an agenda as the neutral person. It's like, yes, yeah. I, you know, of course I want my clients to feel better, you know, yeah. but that's also it, healing is its own process. Right. And yeah. I have a, a colleague who says we heal in, in our own time. You know, it's like sometimes something might not resolve instantaneously because there's something more that we're learning from it. Right. Do you have some strategies that might help someone who's um, wrestling with chronic illness or even has moved through it, some life-changing illness? What are some strategies you might suggest that would be helpful? Um, I mean, I think realizing that it's a, it's a layered process for sure. You know, the thing that I always tell clients when they start working on something like chronic illness is you're not necessarily going to see a huge shift because you didn't get to this place overnight. So it's going to take some time. We're going to work through some layers. So just having patience with the process. I'm starting to examine your beliefs about it 
um, is one of the big things. And I talk a little bit about that in my book of, you know, what are you telling yourself? Because of course we receive a message with a diagnosis and whatever the doctor said, you know, it's like, oh, this is chronic. It'll be pretty much with you forever. Like we have no quote cure. So did you internalize that? Do you believe that? Or do you believe that your body could heal this? And that's the shift of how you think about a diagnosis, right? What your belief about it is. If it becomes your identity. Exactly. I am. That would be very limiting. Yeah. Right. Or, you know, I have this Mm -hmm. and that's, that's my reality. Um, I'm kind of locked into it versus, you know, shifting into, well, you know, currently I'm living with this, but I also hold that possibility that it doesn't have to be lifelong. It doesn't have to be that life sentence of Mm -hmm. what a doctor said. And are there some um, techniques besides meditation, sort of non-meditative techniques that help you reconnect with your body that you know of? Nothing's really pop into my mind. I mean, a lot of things that I do are, are a little bit more kind of of a meditative nature, um, just kind of, but I think in a way, making it just a practice that it doesn't even feel like it's meditation. Like, how can we just always be more in tune with our bodies <laughs> on a daily basis? So it doesn't feel like it's this separate thing where it's like, oh, I have to go take my 10 minutes and sit down and have a conversation mm-hmm. with my body. Mm-hmm. Can I just be walking around in my life and like, oh, feeling something over here, you know, what might that be? And yeah. and learning how to get fluid with that. Yeah, I so agree. I, I think I've always said that because I teach meditation, I go, you've got to get out of the room that you're meditating it in, in and bring it into your relationships. And part of that is congruence. So what you just described is be self-awareness, knowing what you're, what you're feeling, and you still may not know why, But the why is no longer important. The point is, if I'm feeling something and we're in relationship and you don't know it, I've just created a barrier between us. So being congruent without attaching it to a meaning or to you or to somebody else or to a situation, just saying, here's what's happening inside of me. Mm -hmm. I think when you do that, your anxiety lowers Mm -hmm. and no one can argue with you. It's not an argument. I'm not even saying, here's what happens to me when you do this. I'm just saying, here's what's happening to me. Right. And feeling this. Yeah, I'm feeling this. No one's going to say, no, you're not. Right. They only (laughs) say that when you say, when you do A, I feel B. And then they go, no. Right. In terms of, because I think human relationship is the next piece of all this. It's one thing to sit and, and meditate and be at one. But if you can't bring practically that experience of oneness into a relationship, especially a difficult relationship, perhaps, mm-hmm. what's the point? Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Yeah. Again, it's like, like I said, after we did the exercise, if you don't take the action, it's, yeah. just, it's an exercise, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not helping your life change in any way. Yeah. Well, we've only got a few more minutes, so I want to make sure our listeners uh, find out where, how they can book sessions with you, find out more about you. As I said, I, I think it's all going to be on our page at www.consciouslivingradio.org. Um, I think Mark usually posts it on this Facebook as well, your details, but tell our listeners yeah. where would they find you. Yeah, the easiest way to find me is my website, which is heartfirehealingllc.com. Okay. And you would, um, they can book online sessions. Do you have any events or anything else coming up? Do you do any other kind of? 
Right now I don't. I've been doing um, some group healing series and I'm probably, we're at the end of this one this week. So I'm probably going to be continuing that. And that's another beautiful way to, it's creating a group container for healing, especially in these times right now of challenge. Yeah. Well, let's, let's dive into that just for a sec. So we can't go too deep, but we've got this pandemic. We've got all this social unrest. What do you think is happening? What's the correlation if we look at the world as a body and the planet as a body, ocean body, earth body, human bodies? What is going on? What's your intuition tell you? Um, I think what resonated most for me was I heard a shaman speaking about kind of how the symptoms, especially with the virus, really reflecting what's happening in, in the earth, you know, with global warming and things. And that to me really stood out. Maybe we're coming into a new relationship with the earth and really coming back to realizing we do have a huge impact on, on the health of this planet. And we need to wake up to that or we're, you know, the earth is going to go on, but we might not as humans. So it's time for us to, to come into a more balanced relationship with the earth. And the unrest, the civil unrest. I think the unrest hopefully is an evolution of consciousness and, and old systems and old paradigms falling yeah. away. I, I truly yeah. hope so because it's time. It's well past time. For I, I totally agree. And I think that's been part of what we're, it is a part of what we're being called to do. Um, do you have a, a sense of urgency I know we do with climate change, but what about, you know, it's almost like these things can't be separated anymore. Mm-hmm. What's happening with the planet, what's happening with all humans, what's happening, you know, in the, in the black community, what's happening with, like when you look at all of the issues that are just at such a, a boiling point, um, what do you think the intuitive message is in terms of urgency? I think it's the message is it's time to take action and time to, yeah. to make change now. You know, I mean, we don't know how much longer we have. And, well, we kind of have countdowns in terms of, you know, global, global warming. But I think we're hurting each other. We're hurting the planet. And it's time to just act urgently. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, I really enjoyed our conversation. Okay, we've been speaking with Lynn Del Maestro Thompson. Again, all her details on ConsciousLittingRadio.org. And um, yeah, all the best to you, Lynn. I may be calling you. I'd love to do a session. <laughs> yeah, I'd love for you to experience it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, thanks. Thank Bye, you. Bye, everybody. You're listening to Conscious Living on CFRO Co-op Radio. FM in Vancouver. song until it ends we are
millions of their life forming in numbers and might keep the truth close in sight and woman medicine man walking with grace i know your face and i trust your hand medicine woman medicine man walking with grace i know your face and i trust your hand your teachers in the voice of the forest some plug you can't ignore this wisdom of the voiceless remedies are bound to fall and surround us from the garden to the farthest prayer made of stardust find your healing in the music that calls you the voice that enthralls you what do you belong to eyes out there's the setting of the sun give thanks to each and every one the lesson is the medicine woman medicine man Walking with grace, I know your face, and I trust your hand. Medicine woman.